right when I get to the track, I come around and then people are clapping, all this kind of stuff. And the first person I see, like after like a hundred meters on the track, because I, I try to get closer to lane one. So I was like, I got to shorten this thing as much as I can. Like I, I got to get to this end, but these legs aren't going to make it very far. Is uh, right when I hit about a hundred meters, I'm right in lane one. I, 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 I'm running by according to Walter and she's clapping and she sees me. And I, my, my, my first instinct, when I'm thinking about it, is I just went over and gave her a high five. Hello world. That was Nick Eldridge, first time finisher of the Western States Endurance Run, 100 miles in a day. And he got in on one ticket on his first try. And this is the Miles with Marty podcast, episode 52. Welcome. I hope you enjoy my chat with Nick. I certainly enjoyed talking to him. I actually met Nick at the medical tent at the aid station at Michigan Bluff during the race. He got his feet worked on by Tanya Olson, and she kept him in the race, and I think he appreciated it. I'm going to go ahead and jump right into the conversation right after a little music, an intro, and a brief word about our sponsor. Let's live it up while we still can. Let's live it up while we still can. I face my problems man to man. I face my problems man to man. No one ever said that it'd be easy. No one ever said this would be easy. We're running like a marathon all day, every day, 24-7. Never minding what the haters say. Hello, friends. This is the Miles with Marty podcast, home base for running community love, and you are welcome here. We're sponsored by Squirrel's Nut Butter, and I really believe in this product. Let me tell you a little story about my first Ultra. It was October of 2020, and it was the Blue Ridge Ultra up, and you guessed it, Blue Ridge, Georgia. A hurricane, I believe it was called Delta, had hit the Florida Gulf Coast a day or two before that and was moving northeasterly up through the mountains of North Georgia. And it happened to hit the night before the race. And so at race start, it was pouring rain. I mean, pouring. A good friend of mine had recommended Squirrel's Nut Butter to me, and I ordered some on Amazon to try it out. And at the start of the race, I applied that stuff generously to my feet all over and to all the areas that may chafe. So I spent a long time on this course for my first 50K. I made it under the cutoff, but it was not pretty. But it was during that long amount of time, I never reapplied the squirrel's nut butter and never had not one blister or chafing. So I am now a loyal user and ambassador of squirrel's nut butter. Spread the lube and your blister and chafing issues will no longer be issues. You can find it on squirrelsnutbutter.com, Amazon, and coming soon to the local running stores near you. Hey everybody, welcome to the Miles with Marty podcast. I've got Nick Eldridge on the line today. Welcome Nick. How's it going Marty? Man, it's spectacular. If it was any better, I wouldn't be able to stand it. How about you? Uh, yeah, same. Same. Starting <laughs> to feel good after Western State, so I'm uh, in a good mood today. I hear you. My legs all feel recovered up now, nice and soreness going. Not too, not too bad. Soreness is good. Right IT band's a little tender, but uh, I think I'll be back uh, back on my feet running in the next couple of days. All right. So, Nick, you are from Oregon, is that right? Correct. Yes, I live uh, about 15 uh Miles south of Portland, it's called Wilsonville, a bit smaller town than uh, than the Portland area. But yeah, lived in Oregon most of my life. Okay. And you finished Western States last week, just over a week now. And it, it was your first time there. Was it your first 100 miler or no? 
Yes, it was also my first 100 miler. I'd done 200 Ks, but it was definitely the first time tackling the, that distance. And got in with one ticket, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, that with one of those 100 Ks. Yeah, just right. 100 K. I did the Gorge 100 K in the in the 22 finished, okay. uh, and then that was my one ticket. All right. And so, what was the other 100 K that you run? The Gorge uh, 100 K this year. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So you'll have another ticket in this year's drawing. Yeah, I mean, also with finishing Western States, it counts as a, a ticket. So you know, I could. Okay. But then there was no guarantee to obviously finish in it. Right. Hey, never is uh, that mm. distance when you get well. You know, back in the day, even a marathon, you know, to me was saying, you know, marathons are not easy. There's no guaranteed finishes. <laughs> but now I say it about. Uh, 50 milers and 100K and 100 milers. <laughs> right, right. It's quite a bit further. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, there's never, that's a long ways and, and lots mm-hmm. of things can happen for sure. Yeah. And I definitely experienced all those things on, the, <laughs> on that on that race. It's like a lifetime. The 100 miler is like a lifetime in a day, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And it, it's, it's everything I hoped it would be and more. Obviously, a little bit faster finish was the goal, just like it is for most. But Right. It, it lived up to so many expectations and, and even more. Like it was a, such a great experience. Yeah. Yeah. Me personally, I am, you know, I got into running for uh, as part of a weight loss journey. And so when I first started exercising, which was not that long ago, uh, I was really slow. And I remember getting on a treadmill and putting it on three miles per hour and my heart rate would shoot up to 150, 160. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, so, so when I got into running races like 5Ks and 10Ks and then up to marathon, I've always been, you know, back of the mid pack or back of the pack. And, and so one thing that's happened for me though that I've learned is that the longer the race is, the better, the more, the more I feel a part of. And Harvey Lewis mentioned it in my discussion with him the other day. The front runners in an ultra are more on eye level with the last finisher than they are in any other sport. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I would agree with that. They treat each other equally, and uh, that it does something for you. You know, it it has done something for me. And and so when I ran my first hundred miler, it kind I kind of felt like I think I found my home. This is where you know is. As hard as it is to do one, that's where I feel the most accepted and the most comfortable. And, you know, that's my jam now, you know, and so I just want to do 100 milers, but you can't do that many in a year <laughs> or you'll die. No, no, especially, <laughs> yeah, especially if you got like a regular career, you know, regular life, you know, family, kids, all kinds of stuff. Right, right. It's hard to fit, fit all that in, you know, multiple times a year. Right, which I I still have a full time job uh, along with the podcast, you know, which is like a job, and yeah. and then also my kids are grown and gone, so I don't have that. But but still, you know, even with with you've got to, you know, my wife does not like the fact that I have four weeks of vacation and I pretty much dedicate all of that to going to races. <laughs> <laughs> I know all about that. I've, heard this, I've had this conversation numerous times. But anyway, so we try to we try to find a little bit of balance and maybe take one or two uh, beach trips a year. That's you know use a couple of vacation days for that. But out of out of twenty days, I probably use seventeen or sixteen for races. <laughs> I mean, that's all it's been for us this so far this year. <laughs> does your wife run? She, she does, and you know, I think. The Western States was such a cool experience for me and my family all together. Um, 
they, my crew and my pacers have always been my, my, my brother, uh, who's close in age to me. And he did, he's been doing triathlons for like the last 10 years. So he's, he's not unfamiliar to the endurance world and also things that do take quite a bit of time, especially with the training and the actual racing. And then my wife, uh, has, is just, has been the, just as big of an enthusiast of the outdoors as I, I've been my entire life. Um, so the idea of it, she's more of a road runner, I think traditionally. Um, but the idea of it, um, has always been intriguing. She, she, if it's not like a, anything above like maybe, you know, 10 or, you know, four or five hours, she's, she's gone on some training runs with me in the past when we can, uh, get someone to watch our two boys. And, uh, but man, coming back from Western States, uh, they're both like, I can just see them on their phones at the airport, looking up like different kinds of 50 Ks that they could definitely be interested <laughs> in doing someday. So they, they caught the bug. I did remind them that we were at the Super Bowl of ultra, you know, ultra running events, but, uh, mm-hmm. there's, there's so many good events. The other thing too, is I think they saw the terrain, um, with Western States, you know, obviously they didn't see the first 30 miles since we are so, <laughs> so back country coming out of the mountains in Tahoe and then, you know, getting to the uh, grand chief wilderness, um, so they didn't see they didn't see that part, you know. That's just kind of going on, you know, word of mouth for me. But then everything else um, is very similar. Not exactly, you know. Not a lot of places in Oregon are getting north of seven thousand feet that are flat, you know, and you know, kind of super runnable. I think you start dabbling with a lot more mount, mountains. But we do have a lot of that three to five thousand dry, you know, kind of high desert type of climates, you know, mountain Rockies in Central Oregon. And since both of me and my wife's families are from out there. We are very used to running in that terrain, uh, kind of out in the open and exposed to. So uh, they're like, we can do stuff like this, but back home. So I think it definitely opened their eyes to where my intrigue has been, you know, over the last couple of years. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. Well, before we get started then and talking about your Western States experience, just kind of go back and and tell us where, you know, how you got into running, how you got introduced to ultras and, uh, you know, what got you to here. Yeah. So I uh, I played basketball in college. So came from a slightly different workout world or a kind of fitness and exercise world. Uh, I, my guy, I got a degree in uh, exercise sports science. So I kind of got into the the idea of fitness and well-being right out of college. Um, and But I stayed more in the weightlifting, kind of more traditional sports world. But like I said earlier, my brother has been, who is three years younger than me, has been into triathlons. He did uh, cross country at University of Idaho in uh, Moscow, Idaho. And uh, so he's been running. He's been more like that kind of athlete versus me being more like a court sport athlete. And uh, But me following along with his uh, triathlons, he did a uh, you know, a couple, you know, half Ironman. So done, done some decent stuff and, you know, kind of being his, his crew, me and my dad, you know, helping out, maybe making sure everything's set up and ready to go. I, I was, I thought, I always thought this is really cool. You know, somebody could be interested. I was like, this is like 10, you know, 10 plus hours. This is, this is silly. I, I don't, I don't even know how to get started with this. And then like so many people stumbled across the book, uh, born to run. I believe it was probably about 2012. I just randomly remember that. I was like, this is wild. I think it was, I found, okay, this kind of, you know, increased my intrigue and the idea of, you know, doing like these longer races and, you know, different perspectives, got into a little bit of trail running, all short stuff uh, and kind of more of a city park. Meanwhile, I lived closer to the city of Portland back then and was going pretty good. Maybe just a couple of weekend runs here and there. And it kind of was growing and growing. And then I was still playing basketball at the time, uh, post-college and uh, had a pretty bad injury where I broke my foot and that took me, sidelined me for 
quite a while. Um, you know, being a real adult, having like a serious injury and trying to go to work, it, uh, it definitely took a toll on recovery and kind of navigation of that. So just after that kind of generally stayed in regular fitness stuff, you know, then got married, bought a house, we started having kids, you know, kind of that same story where, you know, things kind of get lost in translation. And then, uh, was always in the hiking, you know, uh, me and my wife like going snowshoeing, hiking, things like that. So we're still in the outdoors. We have so much to offer in the kind of the Portland metro area, especially if you go uh, east towards an area called the Gorge, which is the Columbia River splits between Oregon and Washington. And both sides, it's just huge uphills and cliffs. So there's a lot of good trails and stuff out there, about an hour from where I live. And then Mount Hood is about 90 minutes from where I live. So, you know, you can do stuff during the summer, during the winter. We were in Central Oregon, where both of our her parents currently live in Bend, Oregon, which there's quite a few uh, endurance athletes from that area. Um, we were out there. Um, we one day decided we wanted to hike one of the mountains. We were going to go up South Sister, which is gets above 10,000 10, feet. So not a lot of places in Oregon get above, above that. But uh, we wanted to give it a go. It was a dry year, so not super snowy up there. And we were about two-thirds way up. And I just see this guy just hauling ass down the down the hill. And it's it's, it's a lot of scree. You know, it's it's very mountainous. And uh, and he just, he just killing it down this hill. And he comes by me. And then he kind of just gently waves at us, keeps going. And I go, what the hell just happened? I was like... <laughs> that was amazing and he was wearing a vest so i think the only thing i had to go off he was he, he was wearing i think like a kind of older model red solomon vest and this was probably about four years ago but it was right before covid kind of got going covid ended up being my amplifier of the outdoors but uh i looked it up i kind of saw just i just googled as many things as i could and just kind of started figuring it out and then i just I just started going on short what i considered to be long i was like i'm going on like an eight mile run this weekend I was like going on a long run, but it's funny how that turns into just, you know, our everyday, that's like, that's like an easy right. run for most ultra people nowadays. Right. Um, and then kind of kept going on them. And then whenever we go out to my in-laws out in central Oregon, I was like, okay, I go out to a place called Smith rock, really beautiful, pretty well-known area in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, I was just running out there. So, you know, I'm pretty personable. I like, I'll chat with people kind of has to do a little bit to do with my job too. So, uh, just, uh, uh a guy and, I, and his wife, and we were just kind of chatting it up and, and I was telling them I'm interested in, and they were like, you should do a race. I was like, oh no, I shouldn't do a race. You know, that's, I don't do that kind of stuff anymore. And they were like, no, everybody does it. It's kind of a thing, you know, to check out, just do like a short, something short, like a 25 K. And then I, lo and behold, you know, get on the Google machine again. And uh, there is a 25 and a 50 K at Smith rock, which is still to this day, my favorite, favorite place to go for runs and just explore. And uh, just a couple months later, and I was like 25 K. I was like, I've never gone, you know, like 15 miles before. Like this is, this is going to kill me. So I, I definitely trained my best over about eight weeks, did it, uh, had a, went out way too hard. Uh, like, you know, most people in the beginning and I didn't have no <laughs> idea what I'm doing. I think I was definitely, what's funny because I, I wore a vest with multiple water bottles and I know to this day, if I did that race again, I'd probably just have a handheld, but, uh, it's funny how that changes, but it did, it went hard and then I finished and I was dead and I was super hot, dry, but I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so it just started climbing, you know? Um, but since I, that was probably in May of that was May of 21. Yeah, because I remember it was uh, because I think when I first uh, kind of had the idea of, you know, maybe how would I take this further? It was during COVID and the beginning. So, the, you know, not a lot of ability and, you know, obviously not any races or nothing going on like that. But uh, so it was kind of like May of 21. So I was okay. Yeah, I'm not, I can't do these 100 milers. That's too far, all kind of stuff. And then so then what I did is figured it out. So the next year I did uh, 250Ks, both went pretty well. Um, and in that point in time, I had found, um, 
I, I just, you know, I went through YouTube as much as I could, documentaries, just tried to educate myself as much as I could and, you know, figure out what's going on, different kinds of books. Um, you know, I didn't have any friends or like family members or anybody I felt like I could really reach out to. So the next thing I searched for was some sort of a, a way to join a community or some, there's a, Portland is known and Oregon is known for a lot of running stuff and bike stuff. So I was like, there's gotta be something. And then I eventually found what was called Pillars at the time, which is Dylan Bowman's app and website. It is now called Free Trail mm -hmm. and uh, joined up on that. And the, at least maybe general direction with how to train for 50Ks. But so I did my first one. I just totally winged it, you know, kind of went off of like my brother, talking to my brother with training for like a road stuff and like a marathon. But, uh, you know, I, I was like, I got to have more direction if I want to actually like, you know, you know, truly fall in love and understand what's going on here. So I don't like just, you know, killing myself trying to run these races and, you know, with, you know, not the right kind of training. And uh, ever since then, it's just grown. And, you know, he brought back with Daybreak Racing, which is a racing group out here. Um, the Gorge 100K uh, that went on for a while uh, back in the like kind of the two, 2010s, maybe 2008 up to about two, 2015, 2016. And then we had a really big fire um, in that area, which it's still pretty devastated. Um, but, uh, you know, it's been about five, uh, five years now. And so they got uh, the permits and the permission to do the race again in 21. And I was like, all right, my sole reason, sole reason at the time to doing that 100K was to get a Western States qualifier. Like that was like the only reason. But then as I trained for it, I had the best block even to this day with, a, you know, training for a race uh, went amazing. I spent a lot of time out there since it's only about an hour away. And uh, yeah, it ended up being a beautiful day. Had a good race through 50 and then uh, dealt with some pretty bad cramps and, and stuff in my quads. And uh, it's pretty, pretty hilly in a couple portions, but uh, super happy I finished. And, and then lo and behold, there's my Western States uh, qualifying ticket. <laughs> wow. All right. So what month of the year did you say that race is? So in 21, it's, 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 it's the very end of March, early April. So it was, uh, I think it was like May 30, March 31st in 21. I think this year it was like April 1st. I, I know that it's moving, moving forward to a different day. I think it's moving right. further into April. So is that still pretty cool? And, uh, your play, your neck of the woods. Yeah, so it's awesome. The one catch to like the year I did in twenty one, it was like fifty five, sunny. You know, it's we're coming off of you know it, the misconception is it does rain all the time in the Pacific Northwest. It is gray. <laughs> it is gray all the time from like mid mid late October to you know last year. Shoot, it rained all the way up till Fourth of July. But then this year, they you know something that helped me a lot with training for Western states is the sun came out and it's been in the eighties. You know, pretty much since. Uh, uh, the beginning of May. Wow. Um, but when you do get into the gorge, even if you're in the heart of summer, the ground will be wet in numerous places because it's it's what it is, is it's a lot of the mountain runoff coming off Mount Hood. So it's just a slow descent all the way through Hood and all the other, you know, kind of peaks up there. So even if you go up on a, a good snow year, a good rain year, uh, you'll, you'll have water under your feet. Um, so 21, great. 22 this year, it was, it was raining when we started. It was like in the thirties, never cleared like 45 degrees. The rain kind of came and went. We saw hail multiple times. Um, so it was the opposite end of the spectrum this year for, for, uh, for people that were first time doing the gorge 100 K. Yeah. So you, you had said 250 Ks. So is that, so does that mean before States you had four ultras or was there? That's it. Yeah. Wow. I think I cleared. I've, I think I think I've cleared thirty miles outside of that three other times. So wow. training for those hundred k's. So before Western States, I'd only cleared them. You know, the fifty k distance. I don't know what. The, what is that? Seven times total. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. So, so the day that they have the drawing for that, do you, is that something that you followed? Were you like watching it live or did you? Yeah. Any chance? I was, uh, all right, this is kind of cool. You know, so, but I, I mean, I saw that, you know, they put out the numbers right before they do the, the, the lottery and, you know, you see your, your, your chances, you know, with t- you know, how many tickets you got in and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to get in. It was like a, you know, point, point oh something, you know, it's not happening. Uh, but I had like, I had my earbuds in and my wife was like at the store. I, I wasn't even watching it. I was just listening to it. And I was watching my, my three and six year old, we were like playing upstairs and then, you know, they call a number. I think I was like in the seventies. Um, and it was, it was like from Wilsonville, Oregon. I was like, no way. Like, I, I think I stopped exactly what I was doing. I was like, there's no other ultra runners here. I would know because of Strava. I got, you know, I would have figured it out eventually. And they said my name. I was just like, my first thought, I was like, what do I do? <laughs> I was like, I was like, what am I supposed to do now? Like, I, I was thinking, okay, you know, I got, I got, I got, I got a good three to five years, just like everybody else. You know, I'll get a couple more hundred Ks, get, you know, a bit more under my legs and hopefully do maybe a hundred miler in the Northwest, uh, kind of see how it feels. So then if the day does come, I'll either, I'll know if I want to do it or what I'm supposed to do. And fate decided that I was going to do opposite of that and to have no experience and then just kind of blindly jump into this thing. Yeah. So does, uh, pre, so at this point, are you still using the pre-trail thing as the training plans? Yeah. So when you're a member on there, they do have some just kind of pre-made, uh, you know, plans, but then there's many ways you can reach out. It's actually a super resourceful app and a great community where, um, you know, whether it is the free trail experts, you know, the people like uh, Dylan Bowman or Keely Henninger, you know, if they have a couple other coaches on there that you can kind of reach out to or, you know, maybe if you want to have more one on one coaching or um, through kind of a we use Slack to communicate all as a group. And uh, there's quite a few other very experienced people there. So you can kind of throw some ideas off of, you know, especially just with the pre-made plans. And so you know, jumping into the hundred mile stuff, um, you know, doing the, the Gorge hundred K again on April 1st. So I was like, okay, looking back, you know, I think as a kind of a buildup race, it was good for distance, but then the conditions were so opposite, you know, the snow. Yeah. So it was muddy. So like I said, terrible rain, terrible uh, hail, but then it was muddy almost from front almost the entire 60 miles and when i say muddy like as, as muddy as possible I mean, everybody went down went down multiple times uh nothing too bad in terms of fall just took me down you know down to my caboose but uh um, i think there was a few races i could have done differently that maybe would have been better for the the, the the drier some of the drier conditions or maybe just the the type of terrain we were on but uh i think you know obviously any kind of you know, poor surface or, you know, kind of a mixed condition surface can help you with the snow that we did encounter. Um, but what was nice about the gorge and the reason why I didn't, uh, pull out of that was it was 12 weeks prior. So I knew even if something did kind of go wrong or like a small little injury that 12 weeks was enough time to still get back on my feet, um, before Western States. Yeah. So what do you do for like your training plan for that? Do you, uh, it, different than the hundred k. What did you, did you add something in uh, to that you didn't do when you were training for the the hundred k's? Yeah, so this is actually where my story gets a, a bit wild. It was uh, uh, my previous career? I previous career. I'm still in the same genre of career, but I owned a gym in my local community. And then, uh, you know, going through COVID and stuff like that, and uh, there, being in the Northwest, shutdowns were pretty severe at times. So, uh, uh, it, it was, it became really rough. I had a lot of availability to run and do things like that and be at home a lot more with that job. And then, um, it became nearly impossible to kind of keep it going, keep it, uh, keep it pushing. So, 
um, it's still alive. It's still there. I'm no longer a part of it, but then there was a way for me to kind of have to move out and uh, move on to something else. So I did take a different job um, about 10 months ago and I work at the Boeing facility in, in the Portland area where uh, they don't make planes there, but they, they make a lot of the parts. So I'm an exercise physiologist. So I help keep the staff healthy, you know, better understanding themselves, better, better understanding of their bodies. But I work four tens and about an hour away. So Monday through Thursday, I'm gone for about 12 hours a day. And my day starts at five o'clock in the morning. Wow. So I was getting up, you know, four o'clock, getting home. And once I get training for the hundred K was okay, because I kind of had a good feel for it. I also like to bike and I have a trainer in my garage. So I was like, okay, I can make this work, make this work. And then I did start to run into a lot of issues. Um, about 10 weeks out with, from Western States, I was like, I, I just can't get enough training for volume that I was looking for um, during the, the, that Monday through Thursday, you know, even if I did just take like a rest day or, you know, ride my bike just for a little bit on Mondays. So then what I did is I made my executive decision, which, you know, obviously looking back, I think next time I get into any length near hundred miles, I think even hundred K, I think I have to have a slightly slightly or just a completely different approach to make it work with my schedule is I, I started just doing more long runs early on the weekend. So since I don't work Fridays, I would do something of distance, you know, nothing too crazy, maybe three to four hours on a Friday. And then the same thing on Saturday. And then, you know, um, either bike or run for one or two hours on Sunday. Um, and then about three weeks into that, it just, I, I jumped in too fast, too hard for, I think that's the way my body was responding. Um, and so both calves pretty tight. My left one was actually giving me fits. And then I've had a few knee surgeries in the past from those basketball days, but, um, I ended up having to take quite a bit of a break, uh, about nine weeks. Yeah, I was about 10 weeks out. So I ended up not running at all or biking. I just, I kind of went just to swimming for about three weeks. And then I was able to string about three good weekends in a row, um, right before a Memorial day weekend training down in, uh, in Auburn, uh, on one of them, I just kind of restrained that left calf and it wasn't feeling good. So I was like, okay, we'll go down to Auburn me and my wife, because we at least wanted to see like what it was all about, where, like, you know, how the driving was going to work. I'd never done anything that was like point to point, everything that finished where it started, um, whether it was some sort of lollipop or, you know, laps or some sort of a circle or, you know, a loop of some sort. And so since she was kind of in charge of the the crewing and with my brother and then two other friends, uh, she wanted to see it. So we still went down there. We, we, ch- we went down to rookie Chuck on our own. We did a couple things on Auburn trail, uh, Auburn trail, Auburn lakes trails on, on our own. And, uh, uh, didn't get to participate in that was, which was disappointing. But then looking back, obviously it was the best thing to do in terms of, you know, the, the ultimate goal of, you know, being able to run and, you know, finish Western States. Um, so I think someday in the next couple of years, whether I get in or not, I think me and my wife might try to go down to the training runs just to, just to do them. Cause it looks like so much fun. And then like, you know, I've heard, you know, AJW talk about it and other people talk about how it's just a cool thing to do. And, you know, and now after doing Western States, I can see where, um, that'd be a fun thing to do. But then after that, I, uh, about Memorial day weekend, I went on a, a couple more long runs that next weekend. I was able to put the string and some good stuff together. I think like a, I think it was like 13, 25 and then like 18. So I, I didn't feel great, but I was like, okay, if I can string this together. I just chose at that point in time just to swim. I, since my brother did all the triathlons, I, I swam with him a lot in training. So I, I'm comfortable swimming. I was like, all right, we're just going to hold, hold Pat. And I'm going to try to show up not as fit as I can, but as, uh, as healthy as I can. 
Um, and I'd been, I did all the heat training. I did all the sauna work. I actually am pretty comfortable since like my, some of my favorite places to run in Oregon during the summer are all like no trees completely exposed, either burnouts or central Oregon. So I, I knew the closer it got when those high temps weren't looking like a hundred, when they were more looking like 80, 85, I was like, okay, I think I can handle this heat, even though it's still being pretty, pretty hot in the canyons. But, uh, I kind of like, I kind of just believed in myself and kind of went more off of what I thought I could do the last six weeks than really much training at all when it came to running. Wow. So how did you, did you feel confident coming in to uh, start? You know, I think the, the, about a week before my wife was like, Hey, if we go, you know, and if it's just not going to happen, we'll go on a couple of just, you know, shakeout runs with, you know, you and the Pacers like two days out because we got there Thursday morning. So we wanted to go to the, you know, there's a, one of the clinics a couple of days out is, you know, accruing Western States. And we thought that was an important one for us to go to. So we did that at, up at the Palisades Resort. And then uh, we went on a shakeout run and everything felt pretty good. She's like, okay, if that's the case, yeah, my wife is super strong, you know, determined person, but she, she was kind of helping me push me along, even though she thought that, Everyone in my family thinks there's kind of madness that all of a sudden I was just running a hundred mile race. But uh, she was like, if you step up to the line, you know, you need to mentally commit that you're you're not going to worry about you know certain things. You're just going to hey take it in sections. You got to get to Robinson Flat, then you got to get to Michigan Bluff, Forest Hills, and we'll go from there. And like just compartmentalize it and put it together, and then uh, don't worry right away. You know, she's like, it's almost a blessing that you have the escarpment up the hill. It's like it's not like just a sprint start. It's like hey, we got to get up this huge hill and get up to you know almost nine thousand feet. So it kind of gave myself, you know, a chance to warm up, feel it out, feel good, and and then just go from there. But uh, I was definitely nervous. I was nervous because it's Western States, but I was also nervous that, uh, you know, hopefully I didn't ruin, you know, quote unquote, you know, I was like, you know, my, my shot at doing Western States. But I knew I had enough grit in me to make it to the end physically, you know, without injuring myself too bad. Yeah. So have you ever... With the limited number of ultras that you've done, have you ever had an experience with tapered madness to where you're really good shape, you know, going into a race, but something weird hurt starts hurting in your body <laughs> and like oh, on, yeah. like on one of the final long runs and it destroys your confidence 100% and i think you know the <laughs> phantom the phantom pain stuff is real too like you know, right. i think once people get stressed out get nervous get anxious and things like that you know it uh you we can manifest so many things yeah. um and i think in and again a, a race like western states just does that i think whether you're an elite athlete to just back of the packer to anybody in the middle is that it's because of the you know the aura and the you know what, what that race means to so many people in the and the ultra community i think you know uh it, it, you're gonna i don't want to say you're not gonna like second guess yourself but you're gonna definitely gonna think even if you had the best train block ever you're like okay oh did i feel that i don't know if i felt that you know what i mean you know because if, if everything felt so good for so many weeks leading up to it and then all of a sudden something kind of you know, i feel that you know i think that that can definitely get in your mind a little bit and i think the other thing too is i think a lot of people at the start line i can tell you were worried about the snow that we were we were about to encounter yeah. um and, and i think it, it did take a, a lot of finishers heavy heavy number of finishers but it definitely took a toll on people yeah so did you have much experience at all in running in snow yeah so um you wouldn't think of portland being a snowy place and it's not but it has snowed here the last couple of years but um, i grew up sneak skiing and snowboarding 
quite a bit. Um, and then again, with my, my family being my dad's side being from central Oregon and then my in-laws living in Redmond now, uh, it does snow, um, uh, since you have to go over, you know, one of the mountain ranges here to get there. So, you know, they live like at, you know, 3000 feet, you know, 4,000 feet where I live like at 300 feet. So they, they get encounter a lot more. And then, um, you know, over the last five to 10 years, we've spent considerable amount of time over there. So even if it was like, hey, I'm going to Smith Rock or something like that, or if we're just going to go for a run, um, there's just going to be, you know, either slick conditions or snow on the ground, a lot of trails. So uh, I wasn't unfamiliar. It was definitely way more than I'd ever thought we'd run into. Um, it did seem like it was never going to end. I mean, going up the escarpment, so it was dry and then you hit it going up and you could see it go where, when we were going up. So you knew you were going to get to it, get to the top. It's clear. It's dry for about a mile maybe half mile. And then we were in snow, like all the way to like red star. Um, I mean, you get some, to, some clearings where it would dry out just because you could, it, there was no trees right there, but it was pretty nonstop um, for quite a ways. And the, yeah, you had to, I think a lot, quite a few people had to quickly learn how to, if you start sliding, what to do, either, you know, either <laughs> you take it, you try to stay up or you go to your butt and all kind of stuff. Um, but it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't slow me down in the first 50 K to Robinson as much as I thought it would. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was still within uh, the time range that I was looking to for my goal was sub 24. So I was still well with, uh, well within that range when I got past all the snow. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so the day before the race, all of that activity that takes place where you go through the bib pick up and get the swag and then you have the race meeting, it's kind of uh overwhelming don't you think with i mean and then you if you're trying to get something to eat at one of those places so is everybody else there and so yeah long waits for food uh what was that experience like for you the day before? that was actually what that reminded me of in terms of like ultra running it's, it's nothing i'd ever seen before but like when my brother you know would we go to like Coeur d'Alene, idaho for like iron man and stuff like that it reminded me of something like that where it's just these enormous events lots of people so many bodies but then you have to remind that that only 369 people are running western states whereas some of yeah. these events i'm talking about you know like you know you got like all the big marathons boston things like that these are thousands of people right. partaking and then all their friends and fans so it's incredible that there's that many people with only sub 400 people even running the race right um but yeah no it's kind of surreal too because like you know uh you see like some of the some of the elites you know going through the the bib check-in and it is kind of cool that everybody's intermixed together because i think you know you see a lot of stuff in sports nowadays where you know people that play you know for you know the traditional sports you know in america where you know if you're pro you know there's no intermingling at all with you know everyday people Right. Um, so it's really yeah. cool that they're they're just right there, and they're really cool. Most of them right. say what's up and stuff like that. And they're just like, hey, how's it going? Right. Yeah. They in in a lot of other sports, they make us all stand to the side if uh, if one of the pros comes in. You know, okay, everybody's got to wait. We got to let Courtney in now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. None of that, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, I I don't know if you remember meeting me then but i got to i was the one handing out the squirrel's nut butter at the swag pickup and okay i don't remember you then but i definitely remember you at 55 and so uh but i got to meet every single runner in the race and that was like that's awesome 
it was a last minute thing to happen, you know, to put me there. But I was so grateful to be there because I got to talk to everybody and get the feel, you know, and for someone in my position, it was a perfect place to be. But, you know, and some of those uh, pros like Courtney in particular, you know, she came through there and she made a point to go up to every single volunteer in that room and thank them for volunteering. And you know how it is with somebody like that. Everybody wants a picture, but she was mm. patient and, and gave, you know, stood there and took pictures with everybody that wanted to. And, uh, you know, just smiling and, and was happy as she could be, you know, and, um, and all of them for the most part were like that, that were famous, you know, some of the, some of them came in a time that it was very busy. And so, you, you know, people didn't feel right holding up the line, but Courtney was smart enough to know that she was going to draw a crowd. So she kind of came in at the last minute where it wouldn't be too crowded. <laughs> yeah. Smart. But anyway, yeah, it was, it was cool. So I got to meet all of them, Courtney and Camille and Hayden and, you know, all of the, all of the big names. And that's, that's nice. So anyway, so you get to the uh, race start and where did you all stay in Palisades Valley there or whatever you call that now, Olympic Valley? Yeah, no. So uh, we, we, we had two places. So uh, initially when we got there, we had a, a house, just an Airbnb right next to the finish in Auburn. And then, um, me and my wife uh, stayed at, at the village um, right there at the start for just one night for um, Friday night. So then we could, you know, we could go to the, the bib check-in, the, the mandatory meeting, have dinner there, and then I could just relax, stay there, um, you know, avoid having to, to drive a long ways or my whole crew and everybody to change, you know, from one place to another. So we were like, all right, we'll spend a little bit more money since it's just kind of a unique experience and to stay there, which I'm very happy that we did because um, I was able to kind of get up. It was a rough night's sleep. I slept really well all the, like every night leading up to it, but then Friday night, you know, like, you know, I, I wasn't jitters, but it was just definitely like, Hey, this is a big thing. Um, so not a great night's sleep, but enough. Um, but, but since we were right there, right next to the start, I was able to kind of get up, move at my own pace and nothing, nothing ever felt rushed. So I, I think it was smart to stay close. Yeah. And staying right there. I mean, you don't even, you can walk to the start line. It, right? It's literally right there. Yeah. It's just a couple hundred feet. Yeah. Which is awesome. Which it starts at 5 a.m. And I love it when those long races start that early because, you know. It yeah. Gives you a chance. So to I, I, was, I was grateful that. Now, so I was standing over there, you know, as you they say that the start line was in a little different spot than last year because of construction where you kind of start off and kind of turn to the right before you go up the hill. And so I was kind of up there right at the turn before you start going up the hills. And I watched everybody and I thought it was funny because, you know, it gets pretty steep pretty fast. It seems like, which I never went up the escarpment, but yeah. pretty much everybody that went by me, they were running at the, you know, at the start, but I'm curious as to how far uh, you make it out of sight before the, every, most everybody starts power hiking. <laughs> when, when I went on one of those shakeout runs the, the day before, the two days before, um, 
we actually went to where the start was and then we just kind of jogged and I went, I wanted to see how far I could get before it felt like it was too much work knowing that I had, you know, almost four miles of a pretty big climb. And so I ended up, I ended up going maybe like, it was just shy of half mile, maybe like four tenths of a mile. Um, where it was a jog, you know, I was definitely, you know, in the running phase. And then I went to a hike. And then there's there's definitely phases to that because there's the snow and the ice because since it was still dark, you know, the, the a lot of the snow early on was pretty firm and kind of slick in some spots. But there was definitely portions when going up that whole first part where you can repick it up. Um, it got real steep. I mean, real steep a couple times, like very end of it. And then a couple times in throughout the middle where it was like single file because we had we had to go through some pretty big uh, snow fields. So it was like, you know, single file, just hey the guys, this way is what it is. Everybody was under the same. No one was being impatient or, you know, pushy. And I was I think I cleared the first aid station like around ninety or ninety-five. So I was definitely in the the front the front half. So I was with some faster people early on, and no one was pushy. Very everybody seemed pretty understanding of the the snow we were about to encounter, but you know, it, there was, it, it was a climb. And then once you got to the top, the, the snow was pretty firm because it was still pretty cold. It was pretty windy at the top. Um, so it was, it was a trek for sure, but it wasn't, it wasn't like diabolical, like for like, holy smokes, we just did four and now we have 96 to go. <laughs> um, but it, it was, uh, it, it definitely, you, you had your attention the entire time. You couldn't really zone out early on. Yeah. Did you go down at all in the first four? No. Um, no, not with the climbing. It, it wasn't until the backside where, where people started, where people started just de- being all over the place. Yeah. So that was on a descent. Mostly, most of the following was taking place going down. Yeah. So once we got to the top, you, then you, then you go down, um, you know, kind of into the ridge and then it's pretty, it was definitely dry for probably, like I said, about a half mile and then you hit snow and it, it was just pretty nonstop snow and and it's actually you know the if the best way to explain it if you go back and watch uh, unbreakable in the beginning of that documentary when they're actually on the race where it's like where you can see you know anton killian and jeff and then you know how's like a little bit behind but then people were like kind of going to the right kind of going to the left they they can see the next pink marker but then we don't know exactly which way we're supposed to go there was a ton of that going on because <laughs> it was like you could see where the trails, you know, there was people, so, you know, kind of just with some general conversation, I was trying to, you know, you know, be not chatty early, but I was just kind of, Hey, how's it going? But, you know, I was trying to like almost figure out someone had done the race before or was pretty familiar with the course early on. Um, Cause it was, uh, you could see other people were a little bit worried about again, maybe getting a little bit off track because of the snow. Um, Cause if, if you got, if you kind of kept going, saw like a marker and then you kind of just kind of just, kind of did a right to left division. Okay, where's the next marker? You definitely had to play that game a lot early. So groups started forming. Um, so I got attached to a group and I mean, there was probably 10 in front of me, 10 behind me. And we were generally together all the way to, uh, all the way to Lion, just the first aid station. Um, and then it's got a little patch here beyond that. But uh, yeah, people, I see people start sliding to the left and then you could tell by experience instantly whatever they did. Either they tried to stop the slide or they're like, ah, you know, like super caught off guard. Um, but it, it was pretty relentless. And then they would just, you know, just roll. Like the snow was just rolling, you know, kind of however the wind blew it, you know, in the past, you know, six months and stuff like that. And uh, it was almost like it was a game. Like, like we, 
but it's, it definitely added added a, a pretty fun for me honestly like a fun dynamic to it. it 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 slowed me down it probably took anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes maybe you know 15 minutes off of what i could have done getting a robinson flat just because you can't you could never really fully pick it up yeah. um at least the groups i was in and again like i said at that point in time i think i was hovering around 85 to 100 in the front so uh you know those are all people that you know for the most part probably finished pretty well overall yeah, yeah. All right. So you get now at this point was the uh, all the things that you had had trouble with your calves or whatever. They felt good. Yeah, I I knew once I got the line, I was like, okay, I'm in the game. Like I I get everything feels solid. Um, but I, I didn't feel like I needed to change anything up, keep going. And then so once we cleared Lion going to Red Star, like I said, a little bit uh, patchier with the snow, you know, some actual runs. We could, and it was nice too. Some of that spots were flatter or, you know, relatively rolling hills. So you could actually kind of pick it up a little bit, felt good. Um, and then once you got the Red Star all the way down to Duncan, uh, you saw considerably less snow. Um, but, you know, still spots, you know, especially on some downhills or if they were kind of on like the backsides um, of some of the hills. So, you know, a lot, you know, less, you know, you know, sun, you know, going over it during the day. I mean, the temps, I mean, the temps were just not warm <clears throat> leading up to the race. Yeah. You know, like at all, like at all. Um, so it's one of those things where they, they didn't get the sun exposure or, you know, not warm temps. So we were definitely in the snow. Um, but yeah, it definitely started picking up quite a bit between Red Star and Duncan because I, I can even see my splits in front of me right now. Like I was averaging from start to Lion, like a 14, 30 mile. And then from Lion to Red Star, the average for the whole thing dropped down to 14, 23. And then from Red Star to Duncan, the whole thing dropped down to a 13 minute. So, I mean, I, I must've been somewhere in the 10 to 10 minute mile um, per mile range for the, that, those next like eight miles, but it was considerably drier and you could tell a lot of people wanted to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I felt good. I felt strong. Um, and it again, since it only ended up being about 80, 82, um, I knew that I could push them to Robinson and, you know, just past Robinson for sure. I could push because I wasn't going to get into the canyons and it wasn't going to be like 110 degrees in there. Um, so I, 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 I pr- was very conscious of staying with some groups that had either looked like they were going to kind of keep up some decent paces or they looked it had said, Hey, you know, I'm shoot sub 24 and stuff like that. So, uh, that was kind of my goal from there was to get to Duncan with, you know, those kind of groups and just stay pushing because we knew we'd see a lot less snow past Duncan. We still saw some coming in Robinson flat, but we saw a lot less. Yeah. Now, so knowing that you had all that snow to deal with and some water crossings, did you do anything different as far as prep for your feet and your shoes? Like, what kind of shoes do you run in? Yeah, so I was wearing the the Solomon Genesis, which okay. I had worn on numerous races, and they did a good job. So, like like I said, I did the uh, Gorge 100K in early April, and it, it was terrible condition. Uh, I did a sock. I did a yeah, super muddy, super wet. I, I did a sock change at one point in time during that race, just because it was so so dominating of the feet. Um, but the shoes drain well. I I feel good in them. Um, uh, they also, I felt like they'd be good and warm because, you know, eventually we're going to get out of that snow. It's going to be dry and hot. So I felt pretty good about that. Um, I did. So when I went on some of those long runs prior to the race where I actually was able to string a couple of days together, um, since there is a lot of water in the Portland area, when I go to either to a, a huge area that people run in called Forest Park or the Gorge, um, there was a couple of times where I knew I was coming up to a stream crossing or I knew there was going to be water close. And I was like, okay. I'm two hours into like a five hour run or if I'm, you know, maybe it's like two into four hours. I was like, I'm going to go stand in the stream, get my whole feet wet. And then I'm going to just start running from there. So just kind of 
you know, I don't think you can necessarily acclimate your skin to like being wet and, you know, you know, that disaster, but you can at least get a slightly feel more comfortable with your socks being wet or your shoes being wet. And eventually they're going to kind of dry out a little bit. Um, so I, I would kind of play around with that a little bit. Um, and again, since I run, so I do like running during the winter time. Uh, I run in rain six months out of the year. So yeah. being wet isn't like the worst thing in the world for me, at least mentally. Yeah. Okay. So you get down into the canyons now because it starts to warm up too, right? Not too bad. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, everything I had read or seen in the documentaries, like, you know, you kind of have a, a feeling what the warmth is going to be like once you get through, uh, you know, Robinson Canyon. And, and because of all the snow and, you know, kind of the road closures, you know, that was the first place you could see crew. So one thing that was cool about that, there were so many people. And since I was still uh, moving pretty well, you know, I got to Robinson in six hours and 50 minutes. So moving well, you know. I think off the top of my head, that's like a 1330 pace. That's, you know, I think a 24 hour pace is somewhere around like 1415. So I'm still moving with some decent people. Um, so a lot of crew there, a lot of movement. Um, but you can see where you're about to get into where it's going to be a, a totally different climate. We, we're now leaving one environment to go to another. And that's where that kind of big descent happens from Robinson down to last chance. And so I felt good. I felt strong. I did a sock change there. Um, and then I changed my top. I started the early part since it was a little colder and we were encountering snow. I had a a long sleeve kind of sun shirt on with a bit of a hood, mm-hmm. uh, which is something I'm just used to wearing. And it's really thin. And then I wear actually changed into the exact same shirt, but I had cut off leaves to about mid bicep. So I, I wanted to wear a sun shirt with a hood. I'm just it's like I did a race last year. One of the 50Ks I did was around Mount St. Helens. Um, and when you do that race, the very beginning of it and the very end of it, you're in a little bit of woods, but then you're completely exposed for about 20 miles because of the word it when it erupted. Um, there's just nothing there. And it's not always high. It was about 80 degrees when we did that race, but you're the UV exposure. I mean, it's like, you know, the index is at like a nine every year for that race. Um, so I wore that shirt and I was like, I had pretty good results. You know, I felt warm, but I didn't feel like the sun was dominating me. Mm-hmm. So when I got to Robinson, changed into that shirt and I felt my, everything felt good. So I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to give the next 13 miles. I'm not going to like overdo it, but I'm going to, I'm going to hold, I'm going to try to hold like a 10, 11 minute mile. You know, I'm going to, if there's slight ups, you know, I'll hike when needed or you no, know, if it gets flat, I'll just kind of get into a good cadence. But I did that and I felt pretty good. I was able to keep up with the water, but you could feel the difference even with it again, not being as hot of a day as it you know was in previous years was it was so much drier. You know, that's, you know, dusty corners is in there. And it's just when you step or if you're around people, it's like the the ground the dust just flies up in the air and it's just like it was like covering me um so it's so different in there and then and then eventually you kind of get into some of the you know the you get closer and closer to the burn area so you just you're continually exposed and it's hot um but felt good made it through there pretty well i I continued to lower it so actually when i got the last chance my average pace for the whole thing was under 13 minutes um so i felt real strong real confident but then i did know that the three canyons were upcoming um and the, my biggest concern coming into training or coming into the race wasn't necessarily that I hadn't got a chance to run as much as I wanted flash needed to for a race of this length and significance to me. But it was more so since I wasn't able to string a bunch of like really long runs together, I didn't get a chance to practice my nutrition as much as I was like to. So actually, one of my biggest worries going into was probably my left leg, which is kind of the story of my life, but then was when I clear, you know, 15, 60 miles, since I'd only done hundred K's is what's going to start happening to my stomach. I'm not as familiar with, uh, eating strategies. I had some things I was going to do. I had some things to try. I had talked to a few people, but I was, you know, the closer I got to 50, I was like, okay, you get to 43, 
honestly not too bad it was hot but then now you got these big canyons with these huge descents like the descent down uh to the 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 bottom of uh between you know devil's thumb and last chance i'm just blanking right now uh, with the, the aid station at the bottom but that descent down there is pretty wild i mean you're losing almost 2,000 feet in like you know, two miles so it's yeah. a pretty aggressive downhill um take you can test i mean you're coming off of this other downhill so it takes a lot out of the legs and then the devil's thumb it's as horrible as people say it is <laughs> uh it just is i think a part of my soul is still there because i was <laughs> trying to stay within because i knew that it, that that was gonna be slow i just knew it was gonna be slow. i wanted to stay like honestly like under 20 minute miles there i was able to do it but this retroactively i think is where i started to i was i had not been putting down up up to that point it was perfect exactly where i wanted to be pretty good but i i had i wasn't i was drinking my electrolytes i was uh, you know a little bit of calories in the other bottle but i wasn't i that's why i stopped putting down goos or gels or just that kind of nutrition but i didn't really think about it get to the top of uh um devil's thumb took kind of a planned break there because i knew that that was going to be a, a hill that took a lot out of me i think i got like a popsicle maybe like a little bit of ginger ale, maybe like two, three minutes. It was like one of like the four aid stations I knew I was going to take longer than 30 seconds. Um, then kept going and then you go a little bit and then you got the descent down to El Dorado. Yeah, I think that's really easy, but it was, yeah, it was Devil's Thumb El Dorado up to Michigan Bluff. I, I, I could be butchering this a little bit, but get to the bottom. That, right. that, that, yeah, but that downhill is not that bad. I mean, in terms of the downhill that down to uh, Four Devil's Thumb, but it's still not great. And then going up Michigan Bluff, was when I was like, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit behind a calorie. So to put down a gel there and it didn't really sit super well, but it was okay. Went down, get to the top. And by then I'd gone through, I don't know how many stream crossings or just snow and things like that. And I knew I, that I was going into the race. I was like, okay, 50, 50, everything I ever heard was that's where all the feet people are going to be. So <laughs> I was like, that's what I want to do as I, I want to take a sec. I want to get my feet good. So then I think that can minimize my stop at Forest Hill. Still a decent stop at Forest Hill, but minimize, you know, a ton of stuff. So like I walk in, tell them what's going on. And that's where I meet Tanya Olson. And that's where I, that's where I meet you, Marty. <laughs> yeah. Laying back in a chair, get my feet worked on. Yeah, but, uh, huge shout out to Tanya Olson because she knows her shit when it comes to Yeah, feet. she's amazing. <laughs> yeah, she actually worked on my feet after the race too. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, her, uh, Sydney Kalen, I don't know if you got to meet her sometimes when both feet are, are you know, in play, they, you know, one's working on, e on each foot. And then people like me, if there's multiple runners, then we start working, you know, the people with less experience. But yeah, they are, they are really good and experienced at what they do. That's for sure. And, and honestly, that's almost, it's, it's almost even an understatement of how amazing the aid stations were. You know, even like these up to 55, you know, I hadn't really stopped that much other than, you know, get a water refill, maybe throw on some of my electrolytes or, you know, we get a little watermelon or something like that. Like I said, I got a popsicle, but every single time I came into every single one, someone, someone came up to me like individuals, like, what do you need? What can I get for you? And they were like, here, I'll get your bottles. You go to the food thing, yeah. you know, you just walk up or then when you, when you get a little bit further along, they're like, hey, you keep going. If you need some ice, they were helping me get ice. Because I, since it ended up not being a super, super hot day, I decided to keep my vest on the entire time. Instead of originally, I thought if it's if it was gonna be a hundred, I was gonna shed it and go to handhelds just to kind of get some of that stuff off my body. But then by keeping that on, they were putting ice in the back, and you know, amazing. I I, I think yeah, it's it's almost hard to describe how how amazing from top to bottom, start to finish the uh, the aid station experiences were for me. Um, yeah. But they became more prevalent at fifty five when I was like, okay, I actually got to sit down for a second. 
I mean, even then, you know, Tanya it would, didn't take a super long period of time and they were very thoughtful, um, you know, asked yeah. a, you know, a couple questions and my feet ended up not being too bad, but then she, she taped me up good and helped me get some new socks on and, and uh, a little bit of change of clothes there, which uh, was a good idea and got me back on my feet and we were, I was off to Forest Hill from there. Yeah. And one thing I'll just add in right there, when I first, when we, you know, the volunteers at that med tent before any runners got there that you know we kind of hovered up and she kind of gave us some instructions on how it needed to go and as you know she told us as we're working on the feet we need to have one person you know ask them okay are you meeting your crew here if so that one of us would go find your crew and then you know they would say uh do you need us to refill your bottles? That way, once while you're working on your feet, you can do all the other things you need to do at the aid station so you don't use that additional time. And, you yeah. know, I don't know if you have experienced this at other races. I've never, I've always avoided the medical tents, you know, specifically because I was scared to death they were going to try to pull me out of the race if I, for one little thing being wrong. And I never... Yeah. Imagine that they were that committed to to keeping the runners in the race, and not only that, but to keeping them, you know, the the urgency that they showed to get them in and out, so they could can you know can still can meet their goals. And uh, that was that was super inspiring for me to see that. And it was not just the medical people; it was every single volunteer. They know how much that race means, you know, getting into it and being in it means, and finishing it means to to all of us. And and so they bust their ass to make it, you know, a positive experience. hundred percent. I think everything you just said is exactly how I experienced it too. Especially like when I was on that chair, she worked on my feet. You know, I think one guy took my bottles and then a, a girl went and caught my crew and like it consolidated the process quite a bit. At no point in time did I feel like they were, they were leaning me towards, you know, you know, pulling out or anything like that. And then even at my worst, which, you know, the things went south after Michigan Hill, uh, Michigan Bluff a little bit. Um, you know, I left there, <clears throat> was running good for about a mile or two. And they only had one canyon left, you know, going down in the vol- you know, Volcano Canyon. Um, but right before I got there, that's when it hit me that I was like, I'm behind in calories. I just knew I was. And it had been quite a bit of time. And then so I w- started walking. And, you know, I'm, I'm still within my, the, well within the, the time range of how I wanted to do. But then I, I think a combo of things started happening. I think, you know, I, the nutrition thing was kind of giving me a little bit of anxiety, you know, because I was like, okay, I got to, I got to cut down some stuff, but I don't want to like push it too far. I was like, okay, I'll get to, get to Force Hill. We'll take a little bit longer, you know, maybe kind of see what they got. We'll do with some broths and some ginger ale, different things like that. And um, I was just like, all right, it's just not that much further, not much further. And then it, I ended up walking all the way to Bath Road. And one of my crew members was at the bottom waiting for me and to, um, you know, I, I wasn't in a good spot because I think the further and further I went, I just, the, the stomach was just getting worse and worse and worse. And it had been, I mean, it took me nearly two hours to get from Michigan bluff to Forest Hill. And I think again, just in a bad spot mentally looking back, uh, I mean, I had gone that far numerous times and it, it took me like on the dot 15 hours to get there. But I, like I said, two hours to get from, you know, those seven miles just about from Michigan bluff to, to forest Hill. And that's, and that last Canyon is not that bad. I mean, if you just did that on a normal run by your, like no, no previous 55, it's, it's not that bad. You know, and I, I got there at the point where the sun was no longer just straight on top of us. So it was warm, but it wasn't like, you know, the sun's on us too. Um, but when I got there, it wasn't a good spot. So then, um, you know, my crew was like, oh, just talk to medical real quick, all this kind of stuff. And then when I put down um, a little bit of broth, a little bit of ginger ale, I actually ended up throwing up, which would kind of caught me off guard. So I was like, oh, no. So I instantly went to the worst case scenario mode in my head. 
of like, oh, this is way worse than I thought it was. Or, you know, so I was like, like, I didn't really know what to do. So they took such good, good, great care of me. They ended up putting me in a chair where I was kind of laying back, kind of like the chair with the feet when you were working on your feet at a 50, at a Michigan Bluff. And um, all right, we're just going to take a break, keep sipping on this stuff, take a break, take a break, take a break. It ended up taking about 90 minutes for me to get out of there. Um, and the the one of the the best parts about getting out of there too was they at no point in time they because I was showing starting to show my I looked better like uh, I was showing signs of feeling better it was progressive I could tell it was getting better but then one of the things I was running into sitting down that long is my I had done hundred k's before I had done hundred k hundred k to get there is I was sitting down and since you know I hadn't been able to train as much once I sat down for that long my legs were like oh we're done <laughs> we're we're not we're not going any further so <laughs> I was like I'm a, I was like my my legs are I was like I'm like having massive cramps my calves and things like that and then the the PT who was there um had I I remember seeing him I thought slightly earlier but uh his name was Joe Yuhan and uh it said PT Joe on his uh name tag he looked at my legs we kind of talked for about five minutes he goes here's what we're gonna do you're gonna stand up in six and a half minutes with talking to him after the race no rationale to six and a half minutes he just needed to give me a number and i'm actually really good at i'm a really good destination person so like if there's a goal in the future i'm really good at that kind of stuff so at six and a half minutes everybody stood me up and i was like a like a baby deer for about 30 seconds where those my legs were like no this isn't happening right now <laughs> but they were like because you know force hills it's hard to explain to you now that you know you've been around i don't know if you spent too much time at force hill it's really hard to explain to people who haven't been there it's such a long aid station because of the aid station and then all the cars right so with with everybody so they're like where are you guys at and really they're like oh we're kind of towards the end because I, I told them be kind of towards the end so i'll get to the aid station jog to you guys sit down and get out so like all right we'll just make it down to the where your spot is which ended up being like a quarter mile it was <laughs> like you know that big so they'll walk down there and if it's like hey you're gonna like hurt you you know if you're gonna hurt yourself or if it's an absolute no go then come back but at no point in time when I, during that 90 minutes were they like going to offer me the DNF. Right. They, they, they needed me because they knew since I was looking better and, and Joe was like, you know, your legs are looking fine um, with what I told him. They were going to make me say it because they were – because I wasn't injured. I wasn't sick. Um, I was just in a really, really bad spot mentally. But then they knew I – mean, Joe was like, I've, I've DNF'd a race before. And massively regret it and stuff like that. He goes, if you do this and you feel good, you know, decent enough to finish, you should do it. He goes, you're, with where your time's at right now and 38 miles ago, you can walk this thing out and you will finish under 30 hours. He goes, and just if you want it, if, what does it mean to you? You know, that kind of stuff. And it was just all the right stuff. So I was like, I got up and walked. And so I had my brother from Forest Hill to the plan was Forest Hill to Rocky Chuck. And then my wife from Rocky Chuck to Point of Rocks. And my brother was going to take back over. Or Jacob, my third pacer, just because the, the day ended up getting so massively extended. Um, you know, I got to got to Forest Hill and what would have been sub 24, probably, you know, if I would have kept going, maybe close to the training thing would have definitely run to maybe sub 25, 26. But then once it turned, because I never got my legs back from sitting down for 90 minutes, I just turned into a walk. Um, thankfully, that once you get through parts of Cow Street, the beginning, because it's just a massive downhill to get to Cow One, is uh, it's pretty flat all the way to the finish. I mean, there's a few ups, there's a few rolls, a few downs. So I was able to get to the, to the point where I did gain my legs back a little bit um, enough to where I, I was able to walk, like mall walk, like 16, 17 minute miles um, and string a lot of those together. So I was like, and then after about five or six miles, got the Cal two, I was like, okay, I can do, we're going to do this. It's going to not be what was planned and expected, but I'm getting a buckle and it's, and it, it's going to hurt because then now I'm not walking for 17 hours, but, uh, you know, but, uh, it, 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 and it's weird too. Looking back, it was a long time because I, I, I started walking with my brother at 
dusk. And then I was, I started walking again with my brother at Point of Rocks at like, you know, right after dawn. So my wife's whole section was just in the middle of the night. And that's, uh, she'd never done anything in the middle of the night before. So it was a funny experience <laughs> for me and her. But, uh, but there was other people because, you know, when you get to like that, that 70 to 90 range, there's a lot of people where the wheels were falling off the bus yeah. um, and things like that. So we weren't like alone for hours. Um, and also the aid stations get so close together at the end. Um, but yeah, it took, I mean, it took me from Forest Hill to Rocky Chuck. It took me six hours just because I was walking, you know, 18 miles. And then it took another you know, from Rocky Chuck to the finish took another seven and a half hours. Whereas, you know, for the 38, for 38 miles, but I did the first, I did the first 50 miles in 11 hours and 27 minutes. Um, so I think one, I have zero disappointment in any of it, you know, and things like that. But, uh, it was one thing that was really cool. I even know I'm kind of jumping around a little bit was I, I wanted to finish in sub 24, you know, 25, 26. I felt like that's what I was capable of. I looking back with solid training, regardless of it being a hundred degrees and no snow to a lot of snow again. And 80 degrees i definitely think sub 24 is something i'm physically capable of doing at 36 years old you know if it takes seven years to get into the lottery i don't know how that works at 43 i think it's still i could still do it um all that kind of stuff but uh you know i think it just appropriate training i think i just ran into the the, the barrier of nutrition kick you know got kicked me first and then the, the lack of training you know kicked me second but with getting there though in 20 and a half hours i was right before golden hour started so the the stands were filling up and there was a lot of people on uh, you know all the streets coming out of robbie point through the neighborhood so that was actually a really cool experience people are high-fiving me like i feel horrible like he was at my legs barely work. I'm all this kind of stuff. And it was such a, it's almost like a surreal experience to come down, cross the white bridge. And I walked most of that, but I told them, I go, I'm saving it. I go, once I get to the track, I said, I want to run the rest of the way on the track. I want to be able to do the 300 ish meters on the track. Um, so we get to the track. And at this point in time, I'm pretty much just been drinking water and ginger ale. Because when I, once I stopped running, I was like, you know, they were like, eat, you know, if needed and, you know, drink if needed. But then I, I just walked pretty much the entire thing. So I would finish the race on like five cans of ginger ale and water. But uh, <laughs> I get to the track. The live stream guy comes up to me because I was kind of by myself at this point in time. I hadn't seen anybody in a while since Point of Rocks. Um, and uh, it's also warm again. It's like 930. So it's already like, it's I've, you know, I've come through a whole nother sunrise and it's like 70, 70 degrees, um, which I wasn't fully expecting. But it, hey, you know, there we are, rock and roll. But you know, it's one of the funny, cool, kind of really cool things. It was right when I get to the track, I come around and then people are clapping, all this kind of stuff. And the first person I see, like after like a hundred meters on the track, because I, I try to get closer to lane one. So I was like, I got to shorten this thing as much as I can. Like I, I got to get to this end, but these legs aren't going to make it very far. Is uh, right when I hit about a hundred meters, I'm right in lane one. I, 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 I'm running by according to Walter and she's clapping and she sees me. And I, my, my, my first instinct, when I even think about it, is I just went over and gave her a high five, <laughs> like kind of left the track and then like went back onto the track and kept going. Uh, but it was, it was one of those things where it was, uh, my, my crew was like, did you, you gave Courtney a high five? So I was like, I was like, Oh yeah. I was like, I didn't fully remember doing that, but that was kind of a cool thing because I had already heard that she had set the course record at one of the eight stations, but, uh, come around to the end, you know, decent crowd already, but it was, it was really cool to finish in that setting. I, which I will say is, you know, when you watch the live stream back, you know, people finishing at three, four, five o'clock in the morning, there's no one there. Right. Um, so it was pretty cool to finish with like a lot of people there. It was fun. It made it so much, you know, worth it, you know, again, tenfold. But uh, yeah, it was a definitely an unforgettable experience that had has so many layers to it um, that are coming to me every once in a while. Just when I think about it and, you know, some, some uh, I hope hopefully I can, you know, 
managed to reabsorb somehow. And, you know, the conversations me and my wife had, me and my brother had in the middle of the night, them just being awesome, super champs. Did you notice who put your uh, medal on? on? I, I don't remember who put my medal on, but I think if I went back in the live stream, I think I could probably figure it out. To be honest, right when I finished, it was like, I'm not necessarily a super emotional person, like visibly emotional person. Kids have definitely softened me up a bit in the last eight years. Um, But uh, it was weird because I I think I was like, I didn't know if I was like, I don't know if I had any enough energy left to like, I definitely had a smile. I've seen a picture where I had a smile on my face, but uh, I did, you know, if I should be like elated, you know, you know, you know, crying, happy, you know? So I think it was like a lot of it mixed in all together. Um, But it was a, it gets a bit blurry at that point in time. I remember going back home real quick just to take a quick shower and make it back to golden hour and stuff like that. And and then obviously for the, the buckle ceremony a little bit later and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I know they had some uh, some celebrities that were, you know, giving out like Mag, Magda Boulay was doing it and Tim Tweetmeyer and mm. Craig, the race director was doing it and, and so it was different different at different times and i was just curious yeah i got there i must have just missed you uh finishing or either i was just getting there i because i you know we shut down at like 10 o'clock at michigan bluff and then uh it was probably two hours before we left there so it was i got to auburn like one o'clock in the morning two o'clock in the morning and i went to a hotel and slept for like till like eight o'clock the next morning and then went out there i went and got some like five starbucks coffees <laughs> little did i know they had a big coffee cafe there but but anyway uh so so i got out there to the infield and started catching the uh finishes right there around 9 30 or 10 something like that 9 30 i would guess such an awesome thing the energy with the crowd there and and like you said Every minute that it got closer to golden hour and then inside of the golden hour, I mean, the crowd just kept multiplying and getting and you could feel the energy just sucking the people around the track. I mean, it was it was amazing. Yeah, no, I think a good way to if someone were to be like, you know, you know, I hear all these cool things about the ultra community and things like that and the positivity. I'd say you watch the end of the very end of the race from this year with um, with Ash finishing, you know, after 30 hours. Yeah. Um, but that was that was like such a incredible experience just to see that and like how people, even though he didn't go under 30, but then everybody was just so into it and wanted him to finish. It's it is cool how you still get the you still get the finisher medal, but then you don't get the buckle. Um, yeah. So he finished. I mean, he made it all the way. Uh, yeah. so it was a it was a long ass ways, uh, but uh, it, it was it's it was really cool. And honestly, all it did was like reinforce and like just give me more desire to want to. One of the things I'm going to get out of this is obviously I'd want to do Western States again and have a different approach, or or at least have a, you know at least one really successful or semi successful hundred miler in my life. But right. the other thing is I I want to something I've been trying to get uh, into is maybe a little bit of trail work, you know you know helping out with the trails and like that. But I want to volunteer races now, and I want to be have as much because i don't have with my current job and you know having two little kids uh i don't have as much ability to train all the time to do a ton of races i you know i can probably play with you know 50 k's because uh the, the distance doesn't seem as you know as much of a grind on me because i feel like i could you know kind of you know train in and out of those throughout the whole year but if i did want to approach 100 k's 100 miles i just i'm gonna have to be a bit more you know specific on what i want to do so i think i want to see, see how i can get involved more whether it's you know 
you know, uh, aid station volunteering or just volunteering at a race, whether it's start, finish, or, you know, uh, kind of the sweepers making sure, you know, from, you know, once, you know, people are supposed to be through making sure people are actually making it and, and stuff like that with like, you know, picking up, you know, you know, a little bit of garbage here and there, or, you know, picking up the trail markers and stuff like that. So I, I, I definitely, all, all it did was make me want to be a part of this community more and love the sport more than than before so uh, there was definitely a point about 65 where i was like i'm never doing any of these things ever again <laughs> you know, walking my ass 35 miles to the finish uh right. but once i got moving it was just so cool even though it was they knew i was like i'm walking they're like that's great you're gonna make it and you're gonna get that buckle and you're gonna be able to show people about it. i was like okay and it did help that the eight were a lot closer together on the second half. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when they're like three miles apart and stuff like that, versus you know walking eight or nine miles from eight station to eight station would have been rough. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't trade anything for the world. And anyway, can I almost even help anybody else that has question and get motivated? That's kind of my goal now. Is how do I help others that have questions or curiosity? Especially you know, look at my like I said earlier, my brother and my wife. They're like, oh, this is more interesting than I thought. <laughs> so I'm deaf. My wife at this point in time. Is about eighty percent sure she's going to do a fifty k in September. Um, pretty pretty flat ones. Pretty it's a good it's a good starter one. It's close to an area uh, in Central Oregon where we like to run and stuff like that. So uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to be her crew. Like that, <laughs> yeah. I'm like looking forward to that more than me racing next. Like yeah, is I, I want to that would be it'd be su- super cool for me uh, doing that. And it's also one that our kids could be at the end. I keep doing all these races that it's hard for the kids to be there. So it'd be cool, uh, um, for them to see, uh, one of us or both of us, you know, finish stuff like this. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, that's part of it, man. It's, it's just as fulfilling or more really to support someone else to achieve a goal than it is to do it yourself, man. So, and the, what you said about how this race makes you want to be more a part of the community when, I was going to say if, but it's more like when, because they will hear it because they, they do listen to it. But, uh, but when the volunteers like the race director uh, and, you know, the people involved with the race, when they hear you talking like that, that's what, that's what drives them. That's what fuels them to do what they do. And so they're going to love hearing it. It'll be music to their ears. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's incredible that you can have such high hopes or such a, you know, put something on a pedestal like Western States for the ultra community. And uh, it's funny because, you know, I've heard, you know, AJW talk about, you know, when people are like, why, you know, what's Western States? What's the difference? Things like that, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's weird. Once you get there and you see it and you're a part of it, whether you're running it or like, you know, volunteering at it or anything like that, it's wild. What, what, how one, how well it's put, how well it's put together and run. Because you're, the point to point thing is pretty wild that you, it's, you know, that's like what, like 80, almost 75, 80 miles away from, you know, start to finish. Right. Um, you know, because, you know, you're running away, kind of moving around a lot, but it's one of those things where that, that's a lot, that's a lot to undertake and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and it was better than I thought it would ever be. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like obviously the best day would have been if I go sub 24, something like that, but it was still a 10 out of 10, like everything about it. Like I would never, I, I, like you mentioned the crew thing. I would love to crew somebody like a friend or something like that at Western States now, just because being, being, being able to experience someday at the other end would be pretty cool. Pretty fun. Yeah. Well, if I get drawn next year, I'll put you on my list. Yeah. 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 Actually, my wife's like, 
trying to plan a vacation around like you know the double of going to Broken Arrow. These uh, so those are the kind of races that more if you were to say what's my main interest, it'd be doing things like the Broken Arrow forty eight k. Like I like mountains, I like kind of a lot of variable change. But then she's like, we could go to we could stay at the village, we can go to Broken Arrow, and the very next weekend's Western States. I'm like, you're planning this, <laughs> not me. So remember when you remember yeah. when you complain about we we don't go anywhere else, but these places. This is your idea. Well, that makes me wish I would have taken my wife with me if she. If my wife can catch that kind of bug, then man, will I be happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. But there's definitely days she's like, you're gone again for five hours. I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> How many long runs do you have to go on? Yeah, I've heard that so many times, but she's in it now. Yeah. So have you gotten onto Ultra Sign Up at all and looked at future for Nick? Yeah. So I think one thing was with with, with doing such a, a big thing, I'm notorious for when big, you know, important big days in my life occur. Um, is to take a break from certain things. But what, I, what I'm going to do with this is I'm not just going to take a break. I want to heal, get better, which I'm feeling body-wise altogether. I'm feeling like eight, eight and a half out of 10. So I, I feel like I could do stuff the right IT band. I think you know, I'm going to give it another week, but we got a pretty, we got like a two week trip coming up where we'll be at her parents. And then with my parents for uh, in central Oregon, we're going to go up South sister. So we're going to do a bit of a mountain climb. It's not too bad. It's very, it's more of like a scenic. I think we're going to me and my wife, just us. We're going to little run and little hiking up that. We're going to do some other things out there, kind of exploring, just, you know, having fun. But then the next goal is uh, there's a there's a trail that goes all the way around Mount Hood, which uh, is the, the biggest mountain here in Oregon. Um, it's called the Timberline Loop. It's actually pretty well known in the Northwest. And so Tyler Green currently has the FKT. So it's like quite a few big name people have gone after in the past. It's like that. So it's 42 miles. You actually, you can start in many different places. Um but uh, the main spot people talk, go is Timberline Lodge, which is a ski resort, which is actually one of the buildings they use for the movie from The Shining. So that's kind of the, one of the things that people recognize the building at times. Um, but you start there, it's 42 miles circumnavigating around, but it's, a, it's a, between 10 and 11,000 feet of gain. So it's constantly up and down two, possibly three with a good snow year, uh, legit river crossings. Like not like um, the American River at Rocky Chucky, but it's moving enough where people have have died in the past. Um, so you definitely got to take them serious. So I'm going to do that with um, two people that I met on that free trail running app who I run with a bit now. We're going to do that probably in like early September. There's like a 20 mile race I want to do in the gorge in October, but then going into next year, obviously throw my name in the um, Western States, get that thing rolling again. Um, you know, I plan on not getting in on one ticket two years in a row. If I, if I do, I'll let you know, because then I'll become like a famous person. That'd be pretty wild. Um, but you know, not getting you to play the lottery then. I know I might you know, play some different lotteries at that point in time, but uh, with that not happening, then I'll start looking into what I want to what do I want to do with a qualifying race to get in for you know the next year and you know keep that game going with building tickets and stuff. Um, but I think one thing I'm going to do is kind of since my wife's into it and she kind of wants to take a look different look at some races. I think next year I think I might try to do Canyons 100K. So down there in Auburn, um, uh, just again familiar with the course. I like that kind of terrain. You, obviously, you're not doing the first 30 miles. You're really just going uh, the the bottom the bottom portion of it. So probably Canyons is the race off the top of my head. 100K and then more local stuff. Like I might do the St. Helens Loop again. I really like that. It's a it's a really hard 50K. Like I came in like 20th place and I think I did it in like seven hours and 20 minutes. Um, because it's just such wild. You're like running on sand and it's, you know, 9,000 feet of gain and 30 miles. So it's a lot. Um, you know, might do that one again. And then a few other circumnavigations. I like, we have a lot of mountains here. Like, like I said, I like running. Uh, we have these mountains called the Three Sisters and 
it's a pretty cool, not a very, you know, not super hilly, but it's very remote. Uh, so you, you, so you start to navigate all three of those and that's about 55 miles. So I have, uh, that's a plan made for sometime in 24. So not a ton of racing other than po- probably, um, doing uh Canyon's hundred K is what I'm thinking. Yeah. Well, that sounds like enough when you're that's, that's probably, probably is with all the other stuff. I mean, I like, again, I have no time. <laughs> I'm a good example is there's always more time. Uh, you can do other stuff. Just a couple of quick fire questions. You did mention your shoes. Uh, are you a music guy when it comes to do, running trails? I I never once listened to music until uh, Western States because I knew I knew there was a good chance. I did listen to music for about thirty miles because I knew there was a good chance I'd be by myself in a hundred mile race. Yeah. So not typically, but I will now. Okay. What's uh, name name two bands on your playlist? You know, a lot of it was nineties. I had like a. Blink 182, like like alternative. And Blink 182 was like kind of poppy alternative stuff. Is that it wanted to do too hot, too heavy? Uh, Blink 182 and um, Eve Six. Okay. So alternative uh, uh, stuff from the 90s. Favorite aid station food? It might be ginger ale now, but usually watermelon. Yeah. I'm almost every race I've ever done before, I, even in Western states, watermelon. Yeah. Cool. I've got a funny story with watermelon and well, it was a 50 miler. I did it down in Miami a, a few weeks ago, like the second Saturday in June. It's a partner race that you run with. You got to stay together with a partner. If your partner drops, you drop. Okay. Yeah. And so it's completely self-supported, no aid stations. You just have three checkpoints and they give you maps to find your way to each checkpoint, like a, a directions cards, basically. Yeah. And Kind of like a scavenger hunt. But anyway, so we're in Miami and we're going through Little Havana and it's like three o'clock in the afternoon and it's 95 degrees. And I look over to my partner, Jim, and I said, Jim, man, I would love some cold watermelon right now. You know? <laughs> and we look over and there's uh, like a little uh, shop, like a family owned, you know, a convenience store. And we go up in there and we say, do you have any cold fruit? And they just looked at, neither one of us speak a bit of Spanish. They looked at us like, you know, we were aliens or something. And so we turned around and left there. And then we went like one more block and we, there's a big grocery store called El Presidente. And we went in there and he, uh, he went up to the first cashier and he said, "Uh, do you, do you all have any cold fruit? And she looked at him. (laughs) She didn't speak any English either, but I looked over and they had like a huge produce section over there. So yeah, they had watermelon like for $3 for like six slices. And so it was like the best, you know, in a hot race. I mean, cold watermelon, it's like uh, the eating lobster, you know, or whatever is the best. 100%. It's great. But yeah, I've heard some crazy things um, listed as as favorite food. Yours is a little boring. I'll give you that much. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> that's actually one thing I will, uh, now that I've done 100 mile, you know, done like, kind of like that big race kind of stuff, I definitely will look into, I've never had to run a race where you actually ate real food. Yeah. You know, where where I was going to, I've always relied on just the the, the, the bottles and the gels and stuff like that. So I, I, I'm sure I'll have a better answer for you in about a year or two yeah that's one, that's one thing that a lot of people say when they make the jump from 50s or 50k to 100s is you the gels and the tailwind and that kind of stuff gets old if you're just doing that and so you gotta mm-hmm. mix it with some real food and so and so yeah i know i and and for me peanut butter and jelly even gets old it's got to be you know case they got to be creative and at at those age stations i noticed at michigan bluff they are pretty creative there's a guy making quesadillas and they're making cheeseburgers over across the street and so yeah i mean the eight stations had so much like it almost 
almost every single one of them. It was, yeah. it was very impressive. Yeah. All right. Well, I've taken up more of your time than I was supposed to. I think we've gone over um, an hour and a half almost. So I'm sorry for that. Give my apologies. No worries, Marty. It was a great conversation. And I really enjoyed it. And I think the rest of the world will too, because there, you know, a lot of us uh, have that same dream like you to get in. And whether it's one ticket or I think, uh, the one of the people I spoke to had uh, start been going since 2017, trying to mm-hmm. get. Yeah, that was the girl longer than me. That was the girl that finished last. She and okay. she had been trying since 2017 to get in or 2018, something like that. But anyway, she got in finally and got the final finish. And you know that's that's really neat that the final, the last place, last official place. Uh, was treated like royalty. She was she was probably got more cheers than Courtney did winning because there was a heck of a lot more people there for sure. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was it was packed. It was a, it was a fun <laughs> environment at the end right there. Right, and she's actually got an interview. She's doing an interview. I think she said on Friday with uh, Ultra Running Magazine. She and Courtney together are are talking are talking at the same time on there so that's awesome <laughs> so that's pretty cool yeah yeah all right nick well i appreciate your time buddy thank you mario it was a great conversation and again thank you so much for inviting me to have it with you yeah my pleasure and i hope to see you at a race again one day yes for sure okay buddy you take care right. you too bye-bye bye well folks that's a wrap for episode 52 i hope you enjoyed it as much as i enjoyed bringing it to you If so, tell your friends about it. Give me a review. Hit that subscribe button or follow, whatever it is. And also, don't forget to check out my YouTube page, Miles with Marty Podcast. I'm going to start putting up some videos of different ones that actually that I have audio and video. This particular one, we only did audio, but I've got several uh, that are on two that are on there already and several more coming that are audio and video. So I hope you like that. I'm looking for any input you may have. You can reach out on the social media at Miles with Marty Podcast and email Miles with Marty Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for your support, and uh, I sure appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing lots of you out there on the trails and in the races and at the races real soon. Take care. I want to sincerely thank you for sharing some of your miles with Marty today. I know there's lots of things out there that you could give 60 to 90 minutes of your time. And the fact that you chose me and my podcast and some of my awesome guests means the world to me. I also want to remind you that we're sponsored by Squirrel's Nut Butter. Squirrel's Nut Butter comes in several different forms. Some of my favorites are the original Gangster, which comes in a plastic roll-on type tube similar to deodorant. And it is an anti-chafe, anti-blister. Sab. That's always great. There's a new one that comes in a compostable tube that's entirely plant-based. And then there's the Happy Toes. The Happy Toes is a medicated product that has peppermint and tea tree oils, and it does a great job with repairing dry and cracked skin whilst providing an anti-blister type lubricant for your feet as well. So check them out on squirrelsnutbutter.com. Spread the lube and your blister and chafing issues will no longer be issues. 